bless his holy name. Only believe. Only believe that all things are possible if you only Lord, I believe that all things are possible if you only believe. Lord, I believe. Mama, that all things 
are possible. Woo! That all things are possible. One more time. That all things are possible. If you only be. Hey, glory. Hey, glory. Believe. Yes. I'm talking to you right now. Yes. Hey, mama, masha. Yes. Oh, glory. Oh, glory. Yes. Hey, mama, mama, mama. Yes. Yes. Yes, Lord. Hey, hey, hey. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hey, mama, mama. Yes, Lord. Ah, mama. Yes, Lord. Hey, yes, Lord. Have your way. Ah, hey, mama. Have your way. trying to work with somebody only believe that all things are possible if you only to the horns of the altar but only believe that all things are possible all things that all things are possible all things are possible hey glory hey glory all things are possible you can be healed you can be delivered all things are possible a way can be made for you all things are possible he can turn that situation around all things are possible he can open up a closed door all things are possible if you only Hey, glory, hey, glory. Be, believe. The Holy Spirit's talking to someone tonight. Someone, you, you're going through a test, you're going through a trial, and 
God wanted you to know, only believe. Hold on, hold on, all things are possible. I don't care what the doctor said, I don't care what the lawyer said, I don't care what paper you got in the mail, I don't care what the report is. Whose report have you believed? But we shall believe the report of the Lord. And his report says, I'm healed, I'm His report said, I'm free. His report says, victory. My, 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 my. play, play, play the bass, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Play, play, son, play, play. Father, we bless you. We ask you to have your way tonight and in the time that we have. We thank you for speaking to us. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Have your way in the precious, mighty, matchless, and merciful name of he who is the Christ, Jesus our Lord. Amen. 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 God bless you. I'm so glad you joined us here tonight for this time of study. I I've been feeling this. I was singing it on the line with my dear sister Gloria, and then I, I called one of the saints up who was going through something, and I, I sang it on to their, to their voicemail because it was just that much in my spirit. I, I'm just so glad that you have joined us because if you joined us in the beginning of this Bible study, it's because you needed to hear that word, and you need to know all things are possible if you only believe all things are possible if you only believe i felt that in my sanctified soul let me let me lift up for a few minutes uh, a little bit of this lesson tonight i won't won't take all of the material that i put together and give it to you tonight but i want to talk a little bit as we're closing out our year in closing this message that we've been dealing with, this is living faith in stressful times. This is the 32nd iteration of this sermon, of this Bible series rather. It is in Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49 is where we are tonight. I, I want you to know that that singing had nothing to do with what I'm going to try and teach. I, that singing was just to minister. I needed to, someone needed ministry, and so we, I just want to minister a little bit. Um, Genesis 49, interesting topic, interesting piece here. And, and a part of this, which is really interesting to me, is the fact that 
as you begin to look at the text, the text gives us uh, the patriarch who sets his affairs in order. The patriarch sets his affairs in order. He's, he's there on his deathbed and he sets his affairs in order. The patriarch does something. He, he, he tries uh, first and foremost by bringing his children together and he offers his final admonition to them. Brings his children together and he offers his final admonition. And in this point now, Jacob uh, later would call, was called Israel. His 12 sons began to form the basis for the 12 tribes of Israel. And at this point right now, he is at that moment where he is speaking to his sons. He's speaking to his sons and he's about to tell them his parting words. Uh, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, Judah, Zebulon, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Joseph, and Benjamin. His 12 sons are there. They're, they're all listed and if you notice the listing that I have given you is the one that follows the text. It follows the order of the text and not the order of birth. But the text offers them in that line of succession, in that way of the familial ties. What's interesting to me about this particular lesson tonight is he speaks over their lives, but he doesn't speak the same thing to each one. Each one of them has an individuality they have an individual expression coming from their father. They have something that comes different to them. And even when they are joined together, their lives will be different as a result of the prophetic word put upon them. They will not come out the same with it. He, 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 he speaks to them over their lives in three distinct ways. He speaks to them first of all in a way that is punitively then practically and then prophetically punitively if you just put the slide up punitively practically and prophetically punitively practically and prophetically in the beginning by the punitive element he punitively he judges Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. Punitively, he judges Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. Thank you so kindly. He judges the three of them. Each of them has done something, a deed that is so nefarious that before their father dies, he's going to speak to their lives. And he's not going to be nice about it. He's going to tell them the truth. Practically, he speaks to Judah. This, for us as Christians, is an important notation to make. Uh, 
he speaks to Judah in a very practical manner. And then prophetically, he speaks to all of the other sons. Prophetically, he speaks to Zebulon, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Joseph, and Benjamin. Each one of them, he sort of speaks to the future. One of the things that, that can be remembered as you're studying this, you have to remember that these would not be a contemporary diary that, that was being kept at the time. These are the writings of Moses and his, of course, team of, of writers. They are putting together and writing backwards this history, this beginnings, this Torah, as we have come to know those first books. This, the, he's putting together this word, and as he is sharing this word, he's sharing what they have remembered and what they have become. He recognizes who they are and what they've remembered from what their father has shared with them. Beginning with, 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 with the first one, punitively, he judges. Reuben is removed from preeminence. That's the first punitive measurements. Reuben is removed from preeminence. And, and if you have your Bibles, let's pick it up in verse 3. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength and vigor, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. That should have been your birthright, but unstable and reckless and boiling over like water in sinful lust. You shall not excel or have the preeminence of the firstborn because you went up to your father's bed with Bilhah. You defied it, defiled it. He went up to my couch. What, what a sad story. I, I, it, is, it is the fact that this concubine, this woman who was a part of the family of the father, is taken by the son. And when she's taken by him, at first, because you see no retribution immediately, you don't, you don't see him, uh, there's no text of him, uh, as some of you would, would put it nowadays, cussing him out. There's no text of him getting him and getting a bull whip and beating him down. There's no text of him. Uh, I, I know uh, there, you know, if most of you probably remember, uh, Marvin Gaye's father shot him for less. You, there's no, there's no, no death uh, upon him. No, no, nothing. It appears to be punitive then, but here at his deathbed, he puts on him what is the worst thing you could do. You see, you've got to remember something that, that this is important you get this. Present success is not indicative of non-punitive recourse. Present success is not indicative of non-punitive recourse. 
In other words, just because it looks like you got away with something doesn't mean you really did. Just because it looks like you got away, nobody saw you, nobody caught you, doesn't mean you did. Just because it looked like there was no punishment immediately does not mean you got away. No, it, it, you, you, you have to realize that something was coming. And here, what he does to the firstborn is the most harsh thing of all. Just because there is no immediate retribution for wrong doesn't mean one has gotten away with wrong deeds. Just because there's no immediate retribution for wrong doesn't mean that one has gotten away with wrong deeds. No, he, he sees that boy you you no good hustler. You no good. Yeah, he sees him, and here's what he does. He he called him unstable and reckless, and boiling over like water. Unstable and reckless. Isaiah fifty-seven and twenty would put it this way. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. In other words, he's telling him, you are as wicked as can be. What you did was as wicked as can be. And because what you did was wicked, you may have done it privately, you may have snuck to do it, nobody may have seen you, but we know what happened. He now looks at him and he publicly announced the revocation of the right of the firstborn with cause. Meaning I'm not just making a choice to take back your right. I've got a cause with cause. I'm taking your birthright from you. What you should have been, the position you should hold, the preeminence you should have, the dignity you should walk with, you'll no longer walk with it. I don't care if you're the firstborn. I'm taking it from you now. I'm removing it from you. They don't have to respect you as firstborn anymore. They don't have to look up to you. Right now, I'm taking it away. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he betrayed his father by taking his dignity and sleeping with his wife, Bilhah. Now he is stripped of his birthright. He betrayed his father, and now his father strips him of his birthright. You, you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's strange when you read it in verse uh, in chapter 35 uh, you, the story is there in chapter 35 of Genesis it, it just simply says that Israel heard about it but it doesn't tell what took place it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't give a whole lot of what happened it just simply says that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah his father's concubine that's what it says what, what, what a terrible thing. What a terrible thing. 
It's funny because what you have here is the painful removal of preeminence. The painful removal of preeminence. He, he takes it from him. Um, later on in the chronology of the people of Israel, it comes up over and over again. If you, if you get your Bible, sometimes go back and read 1 Chronicles chapter 5. In 1 Chronicles chapter 5, here's what the, what the chronicler says. He says, now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was indeed the firstborn. But because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that the genealogy is not listed according to birthright. So the chronicler says, the reason why Reuben is not where he should be in the, in the genealogy is because he lost his place. And now the sons of Joseph, who are now, as we taught last week, the sons of, is of Israel, he said, look, he said, these are now taking the place. We'll get a little bit deeper into that a little while later. That, that's interesting. All what you can lose. Let me tell you, the, the, the birthright of the firstborn was not only to get a portion, but to get a double portion. So if you read Deuteronomy 21, you'll see that the birthright was a double portion. So the double portion that would have gone to Reuben ends up being a part of what Ephraim and Manasseh get to hold on to. So Joseph ends up with the double portion, which he now gives to his sons, and his sons now end up as tribes themselves. It's a shame, but it is what happens. I, I, I point that out to everyone now, just so you know, doing right deeds is a blessing. Doing wicked deeds will eventually bring you a curse. There are always rewards and retributions. Never think about rewards without thinking about retributions. Never think about bitter without thinking about sweet or never think about good without thinking about bad. There's always an antithesis. You can either get the good or the bad. It's how we do in our bodies. The, the, the second punitive one, the second punitive element is found that he punitively, he judges Simeon and Levi, and they are rejected from his presence. He punitively judges Simeon and Levi, and they are rejected from his presence. This, this is, this is a, a strongly worded piece here. So, so drop down with me to verse, uh, beginning of verse 5. Beginning of verse 5. He says, Simeon, Levi are brothers. Now, when he said that brothers, he's actually talking about brothers from the same mother. He says, equally headstrong, deceitful, vindictive, and cruel. Their swords are weapons of violence and revenge. Oh, my soul. Do not come into their secret counsel, 
Let not my glory, that is my honor, be united with their assembly. For I knew nothing of their plot, because in their anger they killed men, and honored man, Shechem and the Shechemites. And in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it was, it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide and disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in the midst of the land of Israel. What you will later notice when you really study this, this uh, idea of being scattered in Israel, a part of it is that the lands that they would have gotten, they don't get. They don't get the portions they deserve. So that the Levitical line, all of the Levites, they, they never do get a portion. They, they get 48 cities, but they don't get the land mass. They end up becoming great in God because they seek for God's will and God's repentance, and they end up becoming priests in the line. But, but they're scattered in the service of the family. It's, it's interesting because the, the text suggests that these brothers were, were so wicked in what they did. What they did, not only did they kill Shechem and the Shechemites, not only did they do that, but because they were not cattlemen, they, you know, the, the children of Israel are shepherds, but because they were not cattlemen, they, they went and mistreated and killed the animals. They, they lamed the oxen. They, they mistreated the, and debilitated the oxen after the capture. They, they, were, they were cruel. They were mean. One, one, one commentary suggests that, that, that they, they were so mean and evil that, that they went and did things that were both senseless and brutal. Senseless and brutal. Uh, so that, 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 that spirit, you know, I tell people this all the time. If you allow a wicked spirit to overtake you, if you allow a wicked spirit to, to get inside of you and to move you, you, once you get caught up in anger, hostility, vindictiveness, evilness, it will overtake you and it will make you lose your senses. And you'll do that which is unseemly, even in your own eyes, if you were thinking rationally. There was no reason to harm animals. There was no reason to mistreat. There was no reason to kill all the Shechemites. I know what happened to their sister was evil. And probably, had they stopped at taking out the perpetrator, you would not have seen this, this, this harsh of a word against them, but by taking out everybody, for those who don't know, this is the Dana Hamor incident. It, 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 they, they took out everybody. Everyone got, got taken care of. And because of that, they now are being put into a position where they're being punished from the last words of their father. He's calling them into subjection. He's calling them out. And it, it's a tough thing to hear the last things that, that someone you love says to you are this rough. But he's speaking to them punitively. Now, I want to spend 
uh, some time for just a few minutes with this next one. Because the next one is that he moves from the punitive element to something that is very practical. And practically, Judah replaces the patriarch. Practically, Judah replaces the patriarch. Now, I said that the birthright, and that is the birthright blessing of the double portion, goes to Joseph and his sons. And of course, we read that in chapter 48, that that's what he was going to do. But the leadership of the family did not go to Joseph. The legacy of the family did not go to Joseph. No, he, he intentionally prophesied over Judah as carrying the line for the family into leadership. The line of the family into greatness, into doing things for God ultimately. He speaks it over Judah. So Judah carries the legacy of familial leadership. Judah carries the legacy of familial leadership. This is an important thing to note right here because, because you're going to find now why, why it is Judah is so important to us and to Christians and believers. So let's go down to verse 8 and read a little bit here. Judah, you are the one whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Now notice, if you will, in Joseph's dreams, the sheaves bowed down to Joseph. They bowed down, and what did that mean? That ultimately meant that Joseph would be in a position of headship and leadership, and they would have to give honor to him. In this case now, the prophetic word now is going towards Judah as if to say, okay, when this leadership of, the, of Joseph is over and we are out of Egyptian captivity and you are moving into, back into the land of promise, the leadership no longer rests with Joseph. I have blessed him with a double portion. He gave a material gift to us. I have materially blessed him back with the birthright blessing, but I'm not giving him leadership or preeminence over the family. I, that belongs in the house of Judah. Important lesson for you to get. So your father's sons, father's sons will mean what? Your brothers shall bow down to you. Judah, a lion's cub with the prey. My son, you have gone high up the mountain. He stooped down. He crouched like a lion and like a lion who dares rouse him. The scepter of royalty shall not depart from Judah. You're starting to see it now. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Now, let me pause for a minute. When the text talks about between his feet, they are actually talking about his manhood. So it would be his line between his feet. 
his line, his, 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 his body would produce the one who will come in messianic reign. It would be through his seed. Important that you note know this. So when he says that, he says that the staff from between his feet, he said it's going to be there until what? Shiloh, the Messiah, the peaceful one comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people. He prophesies. We're in Genesis 49. I'm trying to line something up for you now because this is going to bless you during this Christmas Advent season as you're trying to learn the lessons that I'm giving you over the next few weeks on Sundays. You need to get this line here. I said God plays a long game Sunday. Here's where the long game really begins to take shape. It is prophesied right here. He says, until Shiloh, the Messiah, and for us, we believe that's Jesus, the peaceful one, comes. And with that time, Judah's preeminence is going to change because it's going to be lined up, still in the line of Judah, but it will be lined up behind the Messiah, behind Jesus. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. I love this phrase here, the peoples. Because see, at some point, every knee got to bow. And every tongue got to confess that he is Lord. Now, now, now get this next line in verse, in verse 11. Because he says, tying his foal to the strong bind. Hold to the strong vine. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He says, and his donkey's coat to the choice vine. He washes it in wine because the grapevine produces abundantly. And his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker and sparkle more than wine. And his teeth whiter than milk. It's important that you understand that the commitment of God to what to who he is and to what he's supposed to be is here in this text. The commitment of God is in this prophetic word that, that the man of God gives. Israel gives a word speak to the future and to the messianic reign that is to come. His blessing is, is a pronouncement that, that Judah, who is the lion, will now be in a position it speaks to the dynasty that will come in the Davidic reign, but it also speaks to the dynasty that will follow with Solomon. It speaks to the dynasty that will ultimately follow with the Messiah. You, you, we know that, uh, that this is the call upon his life. I, I want to keep wrestling with this for a moment. Here, here you have to know. Uh, 2 Samuel 7 talks about the Davidic dynasty when it talks about your kingdom shall reign, your throne shall be reigning. And that, that's the Davidic dynasty, but that's the part of the dynasty of Judah, which goes up until the time of the Messiah. If you look closely at this conversation of donkey and vine, you see in it listed in there, hidden in the pages, some hint of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Let, let's, let's look at it real quick so you can see what I'm talking about. Luke 19. 
Luke 19, verse 30 through 34. He says, go into the village opposite you, whereas you enter, I'm reading the New King James Version here, as you enter, you find a coat tied, and you will, on which no one has ever sat, loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you are loosening it, thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it, just as he had said to them. But as they were loosening the coat, the owner said to them, why are you loosening it? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Jesus, Jesus come, comes in the triumphant entry riding on a donkey. In John 15, verse 1, Jesus says, when you want to hear about the vine, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. God plays the long game. We're talking about a setup that has been thousands of years in the making. This is not a quick turnaround. God has been working on this. Interestingly enough, when you see the name Judah, the term for praise is Yada, praise you. Yaduka is a play on his name, Judah, Yehuda. Judah means praise. And, and, and this, this person here, the, the one who his mama, when she was bringing him forth into the world, lifted up his name and she, she spoke these words in Genesis 29, 35 said, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Ju Judah, Judah, uh, I love to say, you've got to learn how to send Judah first. You, the praise comes out. You, you, we learn how to give God the praise first. Judah is the lion. The symbol of the house of Judah is the lion. The symbol of King David was the lion. Proverbs 30, verse 30 says, A lion which is a mighty among beasts and does not turn away from any. The, the lion became a symbol of Judah's King David, and he is a symbol of the, of the Messiah. For Jesus is the lion of Judah. I, I don't know. We used to sing a song, The Lion of Judah will break every chain and bring to us the victory again and again. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Let, let, me, let me plunge just a little deeper. In, in, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 18 through 20, it says, Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round at the back. There were armrests on each side of the place of the seat. And two lions stood beside the armrests. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other king. Revelation 5 and 5 says, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, has prevailed 
to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. I need to just say this to you one more time. What you really need to realize is that when you read this passage, you read first the punitive, but then you read the practical, and you read the transfer of leadership into the Lion of Judah, into Judah's line, and that line now moves forward into the things of God, and God uses them to do great things. I, I, um, I, I, I don't want to press on much longer, but let me say a last word as I get ready to close, bring us to a close tonight. The other piece of this are prophecies related to each son. So prophetically, he then speaks in each of the sons. He's done the major work already. He's spoken the punitive. He then begins to speak prophetically. First prophetically to Zebulun. In a way, he says, you're going to realize great productivity. He tells Zebulun, you're going to lose, realize great productivity. He uses the metaphor of the seashore and the, the work that will take place there. Great productivity is going to come out of your life. Things are going to happen. You're going to be productive. When he, when he talks about him, he, he talks about him as having a place of prominence. It's, it's, it's important that you understand Zebulun's role and I don't, I don't have much time to put it all together, but, but, but Zebulun is, is, is important. If you look at Deuteronomy 33, 18 through 19, and of Zebulun, he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and Issachar in your tent. They shall call the peoples to the mountain. They shall offer sacrifice of righteousness, for they shall partake of the abundance of the season and the treasures of the land. He, he's calling him unto a place of productivity, place of prosperity. If you read of the Zebulon becomes important in the salvific prophecy in Isaiah and of the deliverance that God would bring. Isaiah 9, which is a key passage of messianic uh, talk there. So Isaiah 9, beginning of verse 1, if you see there, it says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, and when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and the Galilee. He said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. It is, it is that prophecy in Isaiah that is pointed to, again, I'm setting you up for what we're doing on Sunday, uh, that prophecy in Isaiah that is again pointed to in Matthew 4. Matthew 4, 15 through 16. Again, the same verse is quoted. In verse 16, the people who, walk, who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region, the shadow of death light has shown. I, 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 I can work with this. If I keep going on, let me press one more before we close. Prophetically, he speaks over Issachar's life. And he says, Issachar, you're going to be resilient under pressure. Issachar, you're going to be resilient under pressure. 
this is a crazy one here, the way he speaks it, because he speaks it almost in a poetic format. Because when he talks to Issachar in verses 14 and 15, he says to him, Issachar is like a strong boned donkey, crouching between the sheepfolds. When he saw the resting place was good and the land was pleasant, he bowed his shoulder to bear burdens and became a servant of horse labor. He, he, he's going to go through something. He prophesied over his life, you're going to go through an oppression, but you're going to survive. You're going to be resilient. Yeah, you're going to go, into, you're going to go through the burden of a servitude woman, but you're going to be resilient. You're going to come back. Prophetically, he spoke over Dan. He said, Dan, you represent the peril and the promise. You represent the best and the worst. You, you represent Dan, Dan you, you, this one, if you don't know how to read this, this will, this will mess with your head because he tells Dan, Dan verse 16 and 17, he says, he said, you shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a venomous snake, serpent in the way, a fang snake in the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backwards. I wait for your salvation, O oh Lord. I, whew, what kind of talk is this? Dan, you, you, you got to know. That, that you're going to be such a warrior fighter. You're going, to be, you're going to be the kind of person that you're going to go back and you're going to be able to fight and you'll be able to come from behind on your enemies and overtake them. The point I draw on tonight, as I bring this to a close, the point I draw on tonight is that we have the word of the Lord that is punitive. We have the Lord, word of the Lord that is practical. And then we have the word of the Lord that's prophetic all the way through to the end. But let's bring it to the close. At the end of everything he says to them, he speaks a word over them. And I, I, don't, I don't need to go through every word spoken. But he speaks a word to them. He says, I, I bless each one of them according to the blessings appropriate to him. That's verse 28. He says, I charge them, I gather them, I, I, I blessed you. And he said, now I want you to remember, lay me in the place of my father and my father's father. Lay me in the place where my wife, my wife, the, my beloved Leah is there. Lay me, lay me in the place where Leah is buried. And, and that's where I will be. And then the Bible says that he draws his feet in under the bed. And he passes from this life and is gathered together. That's what the word says. He breathed his last breath and he's gathered to his people who had preceded him in death. The joy of leaving this life is to be in life again with those who have preceded us. Now, all of this is the sharing of something important. That is that Israel, before he died, set up prophetically the season we're in right now. He put in place the advent, the waiting hope of the Messiah that would come 
the Shiloh that would come. And it is that that we celebrate this season of Advent as we wait for the hope of our salvation, remembering his birth into the earth realm. It is the hope planned on purpose before time so that in time it could be so. And now in the year of 2021, we're able to celebrate what God did 2,000 years ago. This is the word of God for the people of God. And I hope you're at home saying thanks be to God. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I pray God has blessed you. and You've heard a word in here that has been spoken to your heart. And I pray that you will take that word to heart and you will go accordingly. I pray if you heard tonight and you want to be a part of our fellowship, you want to join in with us, I pray that you will uh, call us, write us. Our information should be on the screen there. Look, you can become an I member. Say, look, I want to be a part of that ministry. Shiloh is a church I want to be attached to. I want a pastor like that. I want people to be in community with, and we'll be in community with you. We want to hear from you. So reach out to us at 860-443-6046, extension 110, or write us at churchadmin at shilohcomplex.org. We look forward to hearing from you. We love you with the love of the Lord. I invite you all to give tonight benevolently. Whatever you give tonight, we give to the poor. We give to those who are in need. I don't like saying poor, but we give to those who have a need because you can have a need and not necessarily be poor. You, you just have a need at that point. And so we try to bless people what we can. So I invite you to join us in giving tonight. Uh, you can give by Givelify, by mail, or by Cash App. And whatever your gifts are will be given to the diaconate ministry. They get those gifts and they distribute them into the community to be a blessing. God bless you. I love each one of you. I pray you are taking all this word into your heart. Hide the word in your heart that you might not sin against him. Let me remind you of a couple things. Number one, I'll be online tomorrow at 1 o'clock to pray with you. Join me as we talk together to our Heavenly Father. So 1 o'clock tomorrow, join me for prayer online. Also, I want to remind you this coming Sunday is First Fruit Sunday. Please join us this Sunday. Sunday is First Fruit Sunday. I want you to give the very best offering you've ever given. Ask God what to give. I guarantee you, if you pray, God will tell you what to give, and he'll show you how to give in the manner that's going to be a blessing. And then let me just tell you this. Please keep our, our parishioners in your prayers. Um, in addition to, I mentioned Sunday, our dear sister Julie Drayton lost her sister Dee Dee. That is her sister Denise. My dear, my dear brother uh, lost his, uh, his brother Barbosa lost his sister-in-law, and we're praying for him and his family. And then our, our dear sister and former treasurer of our church, uh, Sister Elaine Perkins, her sister passed away suddenly and unexpectedly and down in Virginia. And so I ask you to keep them in your prayers. Please keep the Perkins family in your prayers. 
all of those families need our prayers along with this nation on this day that we celebrate and we remember Pearl Harbor and those who lost their lives during the senseless bombing there. I ask that you remember all of our armed services and first responders in your prayers. Keep them in your prayers. Many of them are far away from home during this holiday season and keep their families in your prayers who miss them greatly. Amen. I love you all with the love of the Lord. If I left anything out, charge it to my head, not to my heart. So grateful to have my dear brother Tobias here with me tonight and so grateful to have you online. And we love you. We ask each of you to go in peace and we pray the very peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will continue to guard your hearts and minds by Christ Jesus. And you know what I always say at the end of any worship experience, when you've been in worship with me, I only want to speak the peace over your life. And so as you leave us tonight, here's what I'm going to say one more time. Shalom.